How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? CuriosityStream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com gift. Wake up at Holiday Inn Express to a can't-miss breakfast that's free with every stay. Count on all the hot, fresh coffee you need and an incredible breakfast buffet that has something for everyone, like eggs, cinnamon rolls, and even hot, fresh pancakes with all the toppings you crave. Next time, do yourself a favor and stay at a Holiday Inn Express with a can't-miss breakfast that's free with every stay. So, when you wake up at Holiday Inn Express, you'll wake up happy, a part of IHG Hotels and Resorts. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Custard TV podcast. It's Matt here speaking. A very international feel to today's uh, podcast. Four shows from around the world. So we have gone around the world and we have found first in America Mo Walker. No longer in Balmoral Mo. Yeah, sadly, I had to leave. I had to leave Balmoral, head back to my um, abode, just back to normality. And uh, in uh, Scotland, it's dawn. Hello. Bonjour. <laughs> I see that in my foreign language. <laughs> After years of watching the Nordi Noirs and Otak is, uh, thank you, in, in Danish. So there you go. Right. Or is it Swedish? I never know. I can't remember which side of the bridge it was on. This could be a podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. We'll just delve into, we, we used to do this all the time, but just to start off with a bit of TV news. First of all, uh, Neighbours Dawn is back. Hey, <laughs> so happy about that but I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to deal with it because obviously when they did the big finale and Guy Pierce came back he was buying a house in the street with Jane and mm. uh, I'm pretty sure they're not going to keep Guy Pierce as a regular cast member you never know <laughs> <laughs> that Amazon money I don't think many people who are really happy about it will watch it I think Luke's point no. was nobody watched it up to like it, the last episode when we all watched it, <laughs> and uh, we're just very thick. You know, we loved the nostalgia. We loved the, as you say, Guy Pierce coming back. It's just a good thing they didn't like do something drastic like blow up the street or something, isn't yeah. it? Like it's just everyone decided to stay at the end, which was very lucky. Yeah. For them. Conveniently, I saw a, a headline today actually it said some of the cast didn't know it was coming back, so um. They found out at the same time as the rest of us. That mm. should be interesting. We'll see how many characters to bring back. This is a, a case where I should have my mum on the uh, podcast because she is she has been regularly watching it every day for 20 years. So mm. she's the expert on it. There is a fandom for it. Hopefully there'll be more people now because it's... Uh, you know, we almost lost it, and so people will give it a, another chance. Yeah. And the other news was that we heard the new Doctor Who companion last night, and I know, hey. Dawn, you were on when we were talking about the new Doctor Who because you were a big fan of his. Now, Mo, former Coronation Street actress, so you you are an expert on that. Yeah, Gibson. 
Can you tell us a little bit about her? So, so actually, she just recently only left Coronation Street. I mean, she played uh, Kelly Needlin, and she was somewhat of a bad girl, controversial figure on Corey. I mean, she ended like in a really controversial storyline in which she put a hit out on out of form stepfather. I mean, it was and, and literally ran off, leaving her fiance who had taken a bullet for it in a hospital bed. I mean, so I'm just thinking, did she just run down the cobbles? <laughs> Once she took off and just meet up with this blue, found a blue box and just kind of jumped in. And, you know, next thing you know, she jumped out, peers on the Children in Need special. I mean, it's, it's wild. <laughs> well, she isn't playing her Coronation Street character. I think, is it Ruby Sunday? Sunday, yeah. Yeah. Ruby Sunday. What about you, Dawn? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, she's very young. I think she is just 18, isn't she? Is, 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 is she that young? Yeah. I'll just say again, <clears throat> my my husband was looking up for me. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> So he seemed happy. Eighteen uh, is very young. But obviously Shitty Gatwa looked young, even though he's like in thirty. Although young. actually having seen the promo shots, they've made him look a bit like older yeah. than he had than he did certainly in sex education. Yeah. With like the shirt and the sort he of got, undone tie and the maybe they're sort of skewing it younger. I don't know. But then, like, Russell T. Davis does really well with young actors, doesn't he? So... Yeah. When Billy Piper started, Rose was supposed to be 19, so I suppose it's... Not... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, no, she, I mean, she would have been, what, 23, 22, 23? She was only, you know, because she started mm. when she was about 15, didn't she? Yeah. So. Uh, on today's programme, we have reviews of German ship drama 1899, Japan set police journalist story, Tokyo Vice, big army slash kidnap in Colombia drama Echo 3, and murder at a, a beauty pageant in Mexico drama, uh, Senorita 89, as Dawn says, a lot of numbers to... <laughs> It's like we're on an episode of Countdown. Plugs-wise, we haven't got anything new on the shipyard at the moment, no, do we? No, we should be putting up Frasier shortly and then Gavin and Stacey, and we're going to record some new Christmas episodes because we love to watch the Christmas specials. Are those like your watch-along ones? Yes, yeah. yeah. And uh, have we decided on an eight show yet, Dawn? No, we still have not. That's, <laughs> that's our big holding. Have you... Have you got any suggestions, Mo? Dawn is after a show beginning with H that's got a, a ship in it, and I suggested Heidi High, which I still think is a... <laughs> well, there, there is How I Met Your Mother. That's true, actually. Yeah, that's a good one. And it certainly is a good example of what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> but which episode would you watch? The last yeah. one? Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a difficult Go on. Watch the last one and just go, no, 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 you've ruined and, it. <laughs> and who were you shipping in that? Was it Barney and Robin? Yeah, Barney and Robin. That would be the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the, the, the best and, and most chemistry filled ship in it, I think. And then they just, a, a whole season dedicated to them getting married. And then one episode, oh, by the way, they're divorced. <laughs> <laughs> we planned this years ago. We're not going to deviate yeah, from our. And I think oh. I mentioned mentioned it in my article about shipping for the for the website for the custom tv website the controversy of it and and why it's a difficult thing and should writers listen to the audience and 
do stories evolve and but they stuck firmly with what they planned from the start so if you can think of any hate shows please get in touch with dawn and yes please because <laughs> <laughs> what was the argument was between house which you hadn't seen and what was the one you're uh, your the podcast- house of elliot yeah oh, house of elliot that is very I obscure i'm sure uh, mo's watched not- that oh yeah I used to check those out on VHS at my local library. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Mo, I know you said last week that there is a new episode of Geek Confidential, but do you want to let us know what's actually on this episode? Because I only realised afterwards that you hadn't told us what it was about. Oh, so yeah, our our most recent episode of Geek Confidential, we discussed the new DCU film, uh, Black Adam. I was about to say DCEU, but it's now DCU. The film stars The Rock as the anti-hero. We had a blast dissecting that, talking a little bit about where we think the uh, DC DCU in terms of the film side is going. Go. My friend worked on Black Adam, so uh, watch on the credits for Dustin Carmen in the lighting department. The lighting. <laughs> okay. How the was lighting, the lighting, okay. Mo? What What did you think of the lighting? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here. It's much better than the Zack Snyder films because which are really darker and washed out. And even in, when they're in things like caves and so forth, it's very well lit. I mean, you don't have the Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon issue with lighting. No, no, I thought overall it was, ve- it was very well lit. It's it's a nice contrast to what folks are getting with those MCU films in terms of the lighting. I think your friend and his colleagues did a good job there. And <laughs> <laughs> Mo, where can we find Geek Confidential? So Geek Confidential can be found, well, I would say Twitter, but, you know, we, we may not be there much longer, you know. We made that uh, joke, like, I think we did a good prediction last week. I was listening back and we were like, yeah, the, the, fire, <laughs> yeah, we, the fires are burning. Rome still continues to burn. Or, or, <laughs> yeah, we're on your all your regular podcatchers. There is a website, geekconfidential.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook group and Facebook page as well. Dawn, where can we find the shipyard? The Shipyard UST is on Twitter also, but also on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and anywhere you get your uh, podcast. So you don't sensible moving over to Facebook <laughs> and Instagram and all of that. If you would like to be a voice on the podcast, as we always say, just please get in touch either through the website, through our email, reviews at gmail.com. Uh, or on our Twitters, I'm at Matt's TV Bites, uh, Luke at Luke Custard TV, and the podcast at Custard TV Pod. You're listening to the Custard TV Podcast, the official podcast of the CustardTV.com. So let us start the reviews. And first off, we head to Netflix for 18.99. Did either of you watch Dark? No, I did not see that. Okay, well, that, good chat. <laughs> this is the, <laughs> this is the um, new drama from the creators of Dark. Uh, I will try and pronounce their names. Jan J. Fries and Baron Bo Odar. It's set in the year of the title and follows the passengers and crew of the steamship Carabos, uh, which is travelling from London to New York with its migrant passengers hoping to start a new life in America. Uh, passengers include a newly married French couple the geisha-like Lung Chi and her older companion, and Ramiro, who is believed to be a priest, but then later on we find out maybe he's not a priest, and uh, Angel, who everyone on ship believes is his brother, 
We also meet uh, neurologist Maura Franklin, who is British, who is played by Emily Beecham. Uh, we first meet her. She wakes up from a startling dream. I felt at the start that this was a Luke special because <laughs> we've got one in every other show this week, uh, but not in 1899. Uh, the journey is soon interrupted uh, when the ship receives a signal from another migrant ship, the Prometheus. Uh, we learn very early on that the Prometheus went missing four months earlier. Uh, despite resistance from some of the passengers, the ship's world-weary Captain Larson turns the vessel around and takes a small party, including Maura and Romero, to the seemingly uninhabited Prometheus. As they journey around the ship, the group find a young boy, uh, while at the same time a mysterious man appears from the sea and boards Carabos. We'll go to Mo first on this. Uh, what were your thoughts about 1899? Lots of characters. Mm. I do appreciate the way they handled introducing a lot of the main characters. So um, there was that scene fairly early on in which Emily Beecham is in the dinner room and uh, Miss Wilson comes up and just... It's the exposition dining room, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for making that so concise. Yes. Exposition (laughs) dining room scene. Yes. That helps me figure out who's who because up until that point when they were doing some of those small cutaway scenes i was having to pause and look on wiki or imdb to kind of keep track of the characters so i really appreciate that i like that emily beecham takes the lead she is a neurologist so there's all this intercutting with these dreams she's having these weird dreams and so forth so it, it really does help establish the mood Do you feel like they were trying to ship Emily and the captain because they kept having these, yeah, they kept having these scenes together. You know, it was like they were just kind of feeling each other out. Both of them clearly have some sort of tragic backstory regarding their respective families. I'm really curious about a number of the other characters, Crestor and his his family. But overall, I, I think the first issue if anything, it does a really good job of setting things up, making you feel that creep factor. I'm glad that it gets you to the Prometheus rather quickly because there are some Netflix shows where they're looking, if they're if you know they're going to find the Prometheus, but it's going to take them several episodes to get there. It does that really quickly. You've got, you know, what could be a creepy kid. I thought it was a rather solid beginning. Kind of wish maybe this had came out like around Halloween because I feel like <laughs> due to the creep factor, it, it, it may have fit there a bit better. But yeah. Yeah, because it's bizarre that they they've held this off and they've held they held off the Wednesday Adams thing until this week as well. And um, I had some I don't know if you agree with this, Dawn, as a throw to you. Big sort of lost vibes. I don't know yes. if either of you got that. I also got a lot of X Files yeah. vibes from it. There's a, a definitely an, an X Files Easter egg in the room number that the mysterious guy that comes aboard the ship. He's in ten thirteen, which is the X Files number. And the other, there's another room which is 1101, which also is a, a, an X-Files number. So I, I definitely think they're doing nods to that. And uh, the X-Files did a Bermuda Triangle-esque uh, episode called Triangle. So I think there's an you know, set aboard, it was set aboard Queen Mary, and there's time slips and things. I thought this was, I agree with Mo, the word that solid is perfect description of it. I 
didn't find the, the huge cast very confusing. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. And I think the fact that they're all different nationalities helped that because you know, okay, that's the French couple, that's the Spanish people, that's the Danish people, that's the Polish man. That helped break it up and, and understand all the different factions. I thought there was a really, really good moment in that dining room scene, which indicates the weirdness of it when everybody takes a, a sip of tea at exactly the same time and puts it down and, and the, the saucer at uh, exactly the same moment and nobody reacts to it. So, uh, uh, you know, it's not like, hey, what happened there? I thought that was really good in setting this sort of spooky vibe. I definitely think the um, captain is the strongest character. I don't know if that's because we spend so much time with him in the, the first... I watched the first two episodes. <laughs> I was I was going to ask Dawn. I was going to say, was the, the Dawn test? <laughs> yes, the Dawn test. I would have watched more if I'd had the, the time, but I didn't have time this week. As you get into the second episode, more starts happening, but there isn't enough in the first episode to keep you going. The fact, as Mo said, that they find the Prometheus, they find that it, there is only a child on board who has a a strange pyramid that he carries. Mm. It certainly indicates that it's not just some kind of spooky thing. That you know, that it's there seems to be a more more of a sci-fi element to it. So I, I thought that's quite interesting. And the other thing I didn't mention was that they had the signal, but the thing, what do they call it, the telegraph, telegraph was yeah. broken. So how did they get the signal? Yeah, that returns. There's there's this. The pyramid is reflected in the letter that uh, Maura got from her brother. Uh, has a an embossment on the envelope of a triangle with a line through it, mm. and that is um, reflected all the way through. And there seems to be like a scarab beetle that the the, yeah. the uh, there's a lot of portents in it of of death and and I mean even the setting 1899 is such a classic era of you know War of the Worlds and Sherlock Holmes and you know all these kind of creepy things i suppose it's like reinvention isn't it but still with a a thing yeah. in the past like obviously they've got the class system here haven't they with the yeah. it's the danish family isn't it who all down yeah. in steerage and that scene with the baby and and is that going to be another sort of thing that like a creepy baby type thing yeah. <laughs> i wasn't massively wound by it I agree it's good that we got to the prometheus early on and that whole mystery's been solved but I still find, despite there being a lot of things going on, I was never invested in anyone. I didn't find myself really caring about Emily Beecham. I think the captain, I found quite like a cliched, like world weary, you know, I'm escaping into onto the ship because something's happened to me previously. I know the actor in Anurin Bernard, he's the he's the one who plays the stranger at the end. I don't I mean, my friend is a massive fan of his. So she might be interested in seeing. Does he have a lot to do in the second episode, Dawn? Uh, a, a bit. I, I have to say, on a, on a shallow level, there's a lot of very fine-looking men in this. <laughs> <laughs> there's the loss a- aspect there because everyone is sort of, you know, 
got a secret, you know, there's the guy pretending to be a priest, there's the married couple who are unhappy and the the two women who are pretending to be Japanese but aren't, they're Chinese, is that right, rather than Japanese? Cantonese is what they were speaking as the language. So yeah, because they were learning Japanese, so and they've got a connection to what was Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Wilson. Mrs. Wilson. There's a connection there. So there's all these little bits. Of, so that's why it reminded me of Lost and also uh, the film Identity with Ray Liotta and John Cusack. There was because that was all in like a motel, and so you know, I think if you like this sort of genre stuff, this creepiness. I mean, the music is very obvious as well, that sort of foreboding music. White Rabbit played both over the opening credits and at the end as well, the sort of anachronistic use of it. The second episode has some deep purple at the end, so it's very sort of 70s, 60s, psychedelic trippiness, mm. which obviously is meant to add to it. I think it feels very European. You know, that slow, as you say, it is quite slow. Mm. There's lots of silences. It feels like a European take on sci-fi. Maybe, maybe it's because there were so many characters. There were I just didn't have anyone to sort of focus on, really. So there wasn't that centre uh, where that was in another show we'll talk about later on. So Dawn, definitely, you're saying this is going to be one to to watch. I mean, yeah. it's set on a ship, Dawn. So you know, yes, it's... exactly. <laughs> It's in the contract. I don't think this is going to be something that I'll continue and, and yourself. Yeah, you yes? know, I'll come back to it when I when I can. It's not a priority. Let, let me put it to you like that. Yeah, it's not a priority. I'm intrigued because mm. again, as you, you know, the allusions to Lost and and the X File references, which I totally missed. And thank you, Don, for sharing <laughs> that. So so I'll come back to it at some point. Mixed reactions. I think certainly if you like Dark, because I do remember us watching the first episode uh, on the podcast, then I think this is very similar. And because that's done so well, it looks like they've had a bigger budget to have this big sort of ensemble uh, period drama, but with similar supernatural elements. Um, and that is all on Netflix now. Uh, we turn now to uh, Tokyo Vice. This is all on uh, iPlayer now. It is airing Tuesdays, this Tuesday, airing both at nine o'clock and then after the news. Mo Walker uh, will be taking us through that one. Yeah, I'll be taking us through the gritty world of uh, Tokyo and the Vice Squad. So Tokyo Vice, it is based on a, a novel by Jake Edelston. The lead character is supposed to be him. Uh, he wrote the novel, which is basically like a memoir of his experiences as a reporter covering Tokyo crime. Interestingly enough, this first episode was directed by uh, Michael Mann, who directed Heat, Collateral. It feels like it's Heat and or Collateral. So it, it fits very much the mood that you would expect, like a Michael Mann feature film Ooh, to, also, uh, to Mo. be. Miami Vice, he directed. Yes, he did direct Miami Vice. Yes, I, I'm. I'm sorry. You know, I it's mean, part of the Vice franchise, surely. Yeah, <laughs> yes. First episode opens with Hiroto Kataguri, portrayed by Ken Watanabe, who is a police detective in uh, the Tokyo Vice Squad, along with Jake Edelston, who is portrayed by Anton Elgort, getting ready to have a meeting with the Yakuza regarding a story that Edelstein has been working on. That meeting, it's it's somewhat tense. There are 
some threats made against Edelstein's family. Then we do a flashback to two years earlier, 1999. We meet Jake on a bus. He's been living in uh, Japan for a while. He transferred from his uh, university. He's originally from um, Missouri. He is initially an English instructor to some Japanese students. When he's not teaching students, he's also studying for a qualifying exam because he wants to work at a Japanese newspaper or rather the largest newspaper in, in Tokyo. Jake goes to take his qualifying exams. He ends up forgetting to complete the exam. There's like four, four or five questions that he missed, but he still gets called back and he's interviewed for the position. The folks on staff want to know why does he want to be a crime reporter? He talks about his father being a coroner. There's some references to Jake's background, the fact he's Jewish. There's some anti-Semitic slights that are thrown in during this interview, but he ends up on staff. He initially ends up butting heads with several people, including his boss, who is, is female, I believe her name is Emmy, and her boss, who really takes a major disliking to him and you know doesn't even refer to him by his own name. It's just some harsh slurs, but he is assigned to the crime beat in his first assignment involves a stabbing. He ultimately gets assigned to do some follow-up work by going to the, um, the victim's home where he learns that the victim of, of the stabbing owed a lot of money to someone. But we, what we do find out later on that it actually ends up being the Yakuza. He tries to write the story up as a murder, but he gets a sterile tongue lashing from both of his bosses. Jake decides he needs to learn the ropes by uh, partnering or befriending another vice cop named Jin. Uh, Jin, in exchange, wants to learn how to pick up Western women. Uh, they go to a club. They meet another American, Samantha Porter. This club happens to be a uh, hangout for a lot of mob figures. After he leaves the club, we encounter an older gentleman who sets himself on fire. He's trying to dig into the story, trying to find a connection between the first victim of the stabbing and this person ultimately leads him to that individual's wife who then uh, shares an audio recording with him in which he does confirm that the, the Yakuza is involved. It's a really odd one, first of all, in terms of where it's been scheduled for me. I know that's possibly quite a niche thing, but when this popped up as a 9pm on BBC One on, on a Tuesday night, I'm like, this seems a very odd thing. Like, almost like they had like a free week and actually... Given that it was on in April on HBO Max, I believe, Mo, it's not a particularly, like, starry cast. I mean, Ansel Elgort is known, but has been cancelled now, I believe, Mo, is that right? I'm not... <laughs> not a big I'm story, Mo, if you just... I'm not sure about where that lies, because my understanding is some of the allegations have been retracted. I'm, I'm not really certain. No. I mean, as far as I know, this show has been mm. renewed. Yeah, and, and still he's working. still working. Mm. So, I mean, as far as I know, he hasn't been cancelled. But there's a cloud <laughs> over him. Shall we use yes. that phrase? <laughs> there's a cloud. There's definitely a cloud. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, there's a there's a cloud over him. I know when there was a lot all the press for West Side Story earlier in the year that he was very much in the background of that. But I don't 
quite know who this would appeal to really in certainly in terms of like a, a mainstream BBC One audience I didn't particularly find Ansel Elgort very compelling I don't think he was a compelling leading man I think the quote-unquote Luke special worked here because we got to see Ken Watanabe who is amazing he's a great actor lends an awful lot of class to to a piece and I know the only other bit that he was in where he just turns up at the crime scene at the murder scene and you're like yeah this is the guy this is like the Don but I think if we hadn't have had that opening Luke special I I think this is the quintessential one because it's like here's some action here's where we're going to get to because here's all the boring setup now and Michael Mann tries his best to make things exciting I mean I think that's the most tense exam scene I've ever seen (laughs) committed to film I thought Rinko Kikuchi as his supervisor she was very good and actually I quite like that story her arc about not being taken seriously at the newspaper uh, because she was female and when they went out after their induction she was making all the drinks and the, as I say, the direction, you do get that feel of Tokyo at night, you know, him in his little apartment, which is above like a, a food establishment. I, I felt that he ingratiated himself with the police really quickly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the, the cop that he partners with, no sort of quibbles about taking him on a night out. As long as he gets the girl at the end of the night, then, you know, um, I don't think there was anything here, though, that really, really hooked me other than that opening scene, because I think once we get to 1999 and spending time with Ansel Elgore, I just didn't feel like there was a lot going on other than Michael Mann's direction. And I believe he's only directing this episode and then it's other people after that. Dawn, what about you? How did you feel about it? I didn't find it engaging. And I think you know understanding the Michael Mann type of thing I think is one of the things I didn't like about it is that it feels very American white savior to me that you know this culture exists in Japan they've got all this crime and the the vice police officer says to him there's no murder in Japan there's death but it's not murder and he's like oh well I'm going to solve that you know he comes in as this young man who's going to transform the Japanese culture of, of gang warfare and all this stuff and I, I thought I thought they actually could have skipped the first sort of five minutes after the flash forward they could have opened it with him sitting the exam because everything is explained from that point we know he's the first person that's not Japanese to get on this newspaper in the interview with him we find out his past thing so they didn't need the first sort of whatever it is five ten minutes of us seeing his life in Japan and teaching and things. Didn't need any of that, which I think. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus slowed it down a lot before it got to the action of the stabbing and the, and the suicide. I think it does a very good job of portraying the alien nature of Japanese culture, how very, very different it is to us in the West and to this American. And I agree, the female um, assistant, not the assistant, but his, his supervisor, that was an interesting story. But, I mean, I, I'm going to prejudice because if there is one word that will put me off of a TV show, it's gangsters. That immediately, I, I'm not that interested in it. So I've never seen blinders or anything like that. Sopranos. But, um, no. <laughs> anything with gangsters, for some reason, I'm just not interested. Okay. And I agree, I don't think Ans- uh, Ansel Elgort is captivating enough. I don't think he has enough of a charisma or presence. I don't know. I definitely found the Japanese cast more engaging than him. I feel like the show was trying to go, Tokyo Vice was trying to go for this sort of true detective kind of mode or vein. And in terms of the slow buildup, the crime, you know, season it with a bit of Michael Mann, having these other scenes, particularly closer to the end with the Yakuza, we sort of kind of start to embed ourselves within in that organization a little bit and just seeing what's going on from that perspective. Now, I do agree there is a bit of the uh, white savior complex going on with, with Jake, but I appreciate the fact that at every turn, at least in this first episode, he gets smacked down. So whether it's him thinking he's going to change the culture in this newspaper or how he's going to work with the police and so forth. Because the police seem to take him as a joke. I, I mean, literally, I think that the vice cop, he befriends Jen, I, I think he partially thinks of it, him as a joke. You know, he's just like, hey, I'm going to use this guy to help me pick up Western women. You know, he just doesn't take it seriously. I, I do agree with the assessment of Anson Elgort, there was kind of this goofy awkwardness. Like, there was this one scene where he starts to run. He's, like, running at the newspaper, and it just looks so odd. I'm not sure if that's his natural, how he naturally runs, or whether, you know, him trying to be in character, but that was just really odd. The Japanese characters do elevate the material. If there was more of those characters who were in the forefront, I think this this would probably be a much more engaging show. Yeah, it's like we need a a name, a white American in the forefront of this too. I know it's based on memoirs, but as a drama, I think if it was just Japanese actors. So are we all similar boats here? Not for us, not going to carry on. I don't feel the need to no. continue with this. No, and as I say, I think the strongest element being... Michael Mann's direction is going to be gone from the episode onwards. So the other scene, just thinking about it, the other really sort of visceral scene that stuck with me is the bit where the guy sets himself on fire. And that is quite a graphic moment, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, 
but again if you if you'd like to watch this if it does sound like it's something perhaps up your street if you haven't got an aversion to gangsters like dawn has then it is all up on iplayer now and now we turn to apple tv plus uh this is echo three this is beginning its run on wednesday which is odd because all their dramas are normally on Fridays. This is adapted from both a book called When Heroes Fly by Israeli author Omri Givon. It was then adapted into an Israeli uh, drama and has subsequently now been adapted into an American drama written here by Mark Boll, who won an Oscar for his work on The Hurt Locker, also worked on other Catherine Bigelow films like Zero Dot Thirty and Detroit. We get another Luke special here with the series beginning with Amber Chesper played by uh, Jessica Ann Collins. She's being held at gunpoint in South America, somewhere between the uh, border of Colombia and Venezuela. Uh, we then flash back six months earlier, Amber's wedding to, is it Michelle Hoosman? That's how you say the actor. Uh, Prince, who along with Amber's brother Alex, who's known as Bambi throughout this, uh, played by Luke Evans, part of a military unit. On the night of their wedding, uh, rather annoyingly for the most of the uh, the guests, their squadron leader basically tells them, uh, we've got to go off to a uh, hostage rescue mission. Unfortunately, one of their number is killed. And three months later, following this incident... Prince and Bambi are at odds uh, regarding who should be held responsible uh, for that, for the death of their squadron mate. Uh, meanwhile, Amber is preparing for her trip to South America to study plants and rituals uh, that she believes can be used to treat addiction. We learn that Amber and Alex's mother is a drug addict. A few weeks later, after Amber has gone to uh, South America, Neither Prince or Bambi has heard from her. They meet up. Bambi then drops one more bombshell, which felt like it sort of came out of nowhere. And uh, it ultimately leads with them both going off to Colombia to rescue her, which I believe uh, apes the plot of uh, Romancing the Stone a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was that a deep pull there, Mo? Was that <laughs> no, well, no, because I think that romancing the stone is much more charming than this. So, <laughs> well, I don't know. I've only seen episode one. <laughs> um, Dawn, well, let's start with you on this one. I think it feels very filmic from the start. It feels like the start of a big blockbuster film. You can feel the money. The the word that came to my mind is it's very slick and tight. Everything feels vital to the plot it is essentially a long setup in the, in the first episode but it, it doesn't feel dragged out you're just getting the essentials of who these people are what their relationship is to each other the class system that, that exists between them why bambi possibly risks the life of his squadron member who dies uh, in order to save his brother-in-law prince did he do it deliberately or it, it was just accidental and that's the cause of the, of the fight and then sets up the, the Amber, uh, her situation with a, a very small thing, something that seems small but then that is really the cause, everything, something her husband does is the cause of, of everything. It is not my kind of story, it's not the kind of story that immediately engages me but it is well done. It feels like Jack Reacher or you know, Jack Bryan, there's a lot of Jacks. 
something of that ilk or, you know, the, uh, Liam Neeson in Taken. It's that kind of a feel. Luke Evans is very good. I've never seen Jessica Ann Collins in anything before. I thought I'm she not was... I'm aware an, of her. No, an unusual choice as the female, but she does a, a good job. And there's not enough to intrigue me because you can kind of see, okay, this is the story. <laughs> she's in Colombia. She's being captured. They have to go and rescue her. There's not the mystery like there is with 1899 where you're thinking, okay, what's going on? But if that is the kind of story you're interested in, they've given you enough to, to want to see more of it. And it feels like the themes that Mark Bowl has previously dealt with, like the mind of the military man and yeah. how you can never really switch off and never put those thoughts really to the back of your mind and your strained relationships with loved ones there was quite not graphic sex scenes but sort of more than i was expecting at certain yes. points, let's just put it like that and and the way it's shot as well as you said like quite dimly lit like the domestic scenes the big sort of set piece in shooting afghanistan was where yeah. they went it felt almost like that scene from inception with them all in the big sort of white things over the the snow covered mountains with their guns I checked out a little bit there, if I'm honest, even though it was like this big cinematic moment. I think it went on a little bit too long before we got to South America. We then got a lot of exposition bits in there with how the brother-in-laws were feeling about each other. I personally felt that the relationship with between the siblings, you know, you got that they were close because their dad's obviously not on the scene. Their mum, you know, is a drug addict but it was a bit icky at points. I don't know if either of you felt that way or that was just yes, me. I, yes, yes. I felt that. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, I felt that Alex and Amber had more chemistry than <laughs> Amber and Prince. Yeah, no, 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 no. I felt that throughout. There was that one scene after the dinner between the three of them. Prince is like, you always choose him over me. And she says, oh, you're just a redneck. And then it gets kind of weird because it's like he's kind of turned on by it because then he starts to <laughs> massage her and 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 start grabbing places that, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not going to describe where his hands were going. You're a gentleman, Mo, aren't you? Yeah, I am a gentleman. So <laughs> you were definitely spot on with yeah. in terms of Game of Thrones-ish um, <laughs> sibling relationship but which pro it probably isn't there we're just reading into it and luke evans is very much the alpha of the two male characters as well isn't he i mean his his yeah. broodingness here it's weird then seeing him singing on strictly come dancing <laughs> like <last laughs> week. luke evans is hit or miss for me mm. and i actually have to say i did appreciate him in this um, I appreciate what he was doing because I definitely think he is the alpha of the two characters. And I think he he carries those scenes when it's um, Prince and when it's Bambi or Alex, whatever, whatever you want to call them, are going at it with each other. This, for me, felt like a much more glossier version of, I'm not sure if either of you are familiar with these two military dramas, The Unit which is an old CBS drama, and SEAL Team, which used to be on uh, CBS, but is now on streaming on Paramount yeah. Paramount Plus. Heard of both of them, never watched them. Okay, Echo 3 does contain elements of both, but it's clear that they have a bigger budget 
for the sequences, the set design, and so forth. I think it's that kind of drama where if you appreciate the military, I think that it's very much on brand for someone who is a chest-thumping American, you know, who loves military might, you will like this. I can appreciate Amber's story specifically because it, it shows that this is what's going on with this other character until we learn her secret side job. I, I mean, I think that's... Side kind of, job? Like, well, like I, she's got a paper round or something. Like. <laughs> well, well, it's a little bit more complicated than a paper route, but it definitely was, you got the feeling that it was a side job when yeah. it, when Alex brings it up. And as Don mentioned, this feels very cinematic. I feel like, do we need eight episodes to tell this story? It could be maybe four episodes or something. I, I just feel mm. like we kind of get a sense of where this is going. I mean, there's there's things there that are interest me, but it's not the necessarily the military aspect of it. No, I agree. And actually, you mentioned the eight episodes. We recently on Apple TV Plus had Shantaram, which was 10 episodes. And it's odd that Apple TV Plus, who've done some of our favourites of this year, are doing these sort of big budget cinematic like epics in Shantaram's case and like this very sort of macho military piece in the case of this. I know that they've got a lot of their returning shows on at the moment. Mosquito Coast uh, has just come back. Mythic Quest has just come back. Slow Horses is in a couple of weeks, as is Little America. So it feels like they're putting the odd new show on, but sort of prioritising their returners at the moment and it's weird because we had quite a few favorites of apple tv plus and i'm sure we will again but you know at the moment these ones aren't really hitting for us and again i think it's going to be one done by the sounds of it guys yeah 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 so yeah so i mean with two shows now that haven't passed the dawn test nope only one episode (laughs) (laughs) and final show staying in south slash central america We've got Senorita 89 uh, set in Mexico. Uh, Dawn's taking us through this. Did this pass the Dawn test? This did. I watched two episodes of it. (laughs) (laughs) Which will, let me just say, will be on iPlayer by the time you hear this. This is in the BBC4 Saturday 9pm foreign drama slot. So set in 1989, which I'll just say I'm still not sure why it's set in 1989. Anyway. It opens with a look special. Uh, here is it <laughs> a grand party in this large estate called the La Encantada Estate in Mexico, where uh, 32 women who have been living there for three months training to take part in the Miss Mexico pageant. As is always the case with these look specials, something dramatic happens. We see one of the contenders, uh, Dolores, taking some drugs and shortly afterwards she falls pushed jumps from the roof of the building and uh, dies then we flash back and uh, it focuses on Elena who's a young woman who is fascinated with the world of beauty and what beauty means how we assess it and she wants to get a job with these people who run the Miss Mexico pageant to train the women to give them education to enlighten them in the world of literature and she thinks this is a, a vitally important job and also to make enough money. So after some consideration, Concepcion, who is the 
matriarchy character who runs the uh, Miss Mexico pageant. I'm assuming she's the money. Uh, she owns the estate. She gives Elena a job and we travel to the estate with some of the girls. There's 32. We don't learn all 32 characters, thankfully, or this would be uh, worse than 1899. We have a focus on about three or four of the, the young women who are, are taking part in the pageant. Miss Chihuahua, who's Jocelyn, who we find out is a, a very poor background. Her father has gone to uh, America and not come back, and she's looking after her younger sister. Uh, Miss Guerrero, who is Dolores, who we see who has been trained from a very young age to be in pageants, but requires uh, amphetamines or cocaine whatever, to get her through the trauma uh, that she's, she's gone through in her life. And then there is also Miss uh, Oksaka, who is uh, Angelis. She has recently had a baby, and of course that's against the, the rules. We see them in the, uh, the Encanta estate, and there's very strict rules. There's a, a sort of matron figure. There's a, a, a female hair and makeup artist. And there is Concepcion's husband, who it turns out is a plastic surgeon. He is in, in search of the most perfect woman. And obviously he thinks this is where you'll find it. It's a, a focus is on the way that all these young women are looking to this as an escape. They all have trauma. Most of them are from very poor backgrounds. This is their only chance of getting out. And we find out that these people who run this are using that to their advantage, using these young women, possibly prostituting them out to politicians, using them for various things. <laughs> I'm assuming we'll find out more as we go through. And it becomes a very, it's a very dark place for them to be. Although it, it seems like it's perfection, this beautiful house with grounds and things, there's a lot of, symbolism there's wild animals two characters try to run away and are met with a dog in a trap for the huge symbolism of what these young women are doing there in this estate and what they face in order to compete as miss mexico because this one started as chapter one elena is does it follow a different character in in the second it, one dawn it does yes but i think it's a bit misleading the second episode is titled jocelyn and, and, and but really it's quite openly follows various characters. There's just a, a slightly more focus on that character. And does she maintain the uh, narration throughout Elena? Yes, she, she does. Yeah, yes. yeah, from her poetic. perspective. Yes, yeah, very poetic talk about animals and fairy tales. and it, mm. It's very, seems very highbrow. And I, I think that obviously the essential part of the first episode is she gets that knocked out of her and she realises her grand ambition to bring education to these young women is actually not what they need and they need someone on their side to mm. help in this uh, quite. And uh, the second episode, I'd say, uh, the drama huge, there is an, a, an event which happens, you know, makes it much more higher stakes in the second episode. I, w I would say if someone is going to watch it, watch the first episode. Which will be on as a double bill as they always are on with these foreign dramas on. BBC Four, and again, sort of a bit similar to 1899 in the way that these are all characters, different yeah. types of characters who are trapped together and strange things are happening to them. You know, there's always the signing of the contract and, and, yeah. and actually 
the presentation that Elena gives at the beginning as well is very sort of by the end. It's like, oh, that's why she did that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Foreboding. No, what were your thoughts on uh, Signorita 89? You know, I really like this. When I first watched it, it reminded me of a series that was on Lifetime a few years ago called Unreal. We reviewed that movie. Yeah. Podcast. We did. I felt like there were a lot of elements of that in this you know you have the in the particularly in the first series you had uh, of unreal you had someone going undercover to find out what was going on in this reality show the contestants that we meet are very well defined we understand their motivations very clearly there's a lot of empathy whether it's dolores angeles uh miss ox uh, and she's the one who has the young child, and she's being uh, heavily criticized by uh, Conception and, and her husband Carlos because she has stretch marks on her breasts, and it's part of that contract. Either they weren't pregnant or have never been pregnant, and she violated that clause. And this show is it's it's very compelling. You kind of want to know what's going to happen. I want to know what does drive Dolores over the edge. There's a lot of nice dramatic and soapy elements, and it, it's very easy to follow. I mean, I think of the four we've watched this week, this was the the one that I found the most compelling. I think you had a lot of strong characters, uh, strong female characters. You had that element of, of mystery. I don't think it needed the Luke special, personally. I get why you had that in Tokyo Vice, and I sort of get why it was in... Echo 3, but here I don't think you needed the this woman is going to be dead by the end of the series because actually there was enough mystery there, enough sort of sinisterness, the sort of secret plastic surgery layer of this. Almost like it wasn't an island, but it almost felt like an island, didn't it? Because it was so remote from everywhere else. The sort of harsh side of beauty, really, which is that lecture that... Elena gives at the the beginning and she goes in there with an air of superiority doesn't she I am the intellectual I know that this is all like a cattle market and quickly learns that it's much more brutal much more sinister I suppose there is the commentary on Mexican society as well and, and what women can expect from it really and I don't know if it being 1989, maybe because of the sort of the lack of technology, maybe would be my only thing, you know, like pre-internet, pre-mobile phone, things like that. That would be my my only idea. And the use of there was a I can't remember what song they used near the beginning as well when they were having the party. I really like this. I think, you know, if I do have any spare time, this will be the one that I will be following because it just felt different. I was expecting a procedural, I think, you know, I, when I read the synopsis, I was expecting, I was expecting sort of haunted male detective explores death at pageant. And this is something <laughs> completely different from that. You know, there's that mystery element, but there is those sympathetic characters. It's got things to say about beauty, attractiveness, intellect, so there's a lot going on, as Mo said, but there's also those soapy elements. So, yeah, definite recommend for me. And Dawn, I'm guessing yes, because it passed the Dawn test. I, I assumed it was going to be something a bit like Drop Dead Gorgeous kind of thing, where the girls are all trying to kill each other 
you know, to compete and it would be, but it's a much more feminist take on that. It's about the fact that these women are being used and they have to come together to survive this elements of people using them. I, I definitely, definitely will watch the rest of it. It's fun, but a weird, the, the most interesting thing I think you watch this week. Definitely the first two episodes will be on the iPlayer by the time you hear this and it's Saturday nights in double bills on BBC Four and and that's us done for another week. We've gone all around the world, uh, but have we found our baby? That's the the most important question. Uh, <laughs> the sun is setting Scotland while we've been talking. So <laughs> the sun has set in Scotland. We're still light here, I have to say, in uh, in deepest darkest Staffordshire. We're the, it is still light. But yeah, so do you uh, guys want to just uh, tell us your uh, Twitters again, where we can find all all your stuff online? Yeah, I am Don Glenn Two on Twitter, as long as Twitter is there, and uh, the Shipyard UST is the podcast. Doctor Mo uh, seventy seven on Twitter. I also just created a Mastodon account, so I'm Doctor <laughs> Mo on Mastodon. <laughs> Well, let us know how that goes yeah. i read about mastodon i'm like this is too confusing for my little brain it's server i didn't understand that bit <laughs> yeah and uh as i said before we are uh the custard tv.com uh at luke custard tv is the site at custard tv pod is the podcast at matt's tv bites for myself uh, we will be back next week. It is Christmas come early for dawn because we will be Yay. talking about Disney Plus's Willow series, as well as uh, also on Disney Plus, uh, The Patient with Steve Carell, uh, which I believe was on FX earlier in the year, Mo, with you. Uh, but thank you so much uh, for listening and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.